Hey everyone, it's been a while. This is your host, Philip of the Thodcast. And um, I thought it'd be fun to make our uh, grand return on the Thodcast be this new uh, film from Disney Pixar, Onward, and my brothers and my discussion regarding the film. And so we have this episode to present to you, but um, you know, I was planning to release it you know, shortly after the film was released in theaters, but um, with all the coronavirus craziness, I've uh, decided to push it until now where the film is actually uh, available digitally uh, for purchase, and then it's coming to Disney Plus on April 3rd. So uh, if you were unable to make it to the theaters to see uh, Onward, you can check it out now or very soon in the comfort of your own home. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Without uh, any further delay, well, should we just say, onward. Oh, hey, uh, we're back. This is a new episode of the Thodcast, conversations about animation. What are we up to, like 48, 49? That's, who cares anymore? Um, <laughs> I never count these things. Uh, this is your host, Philip Elke, of the Thodcast Conversations about Animation, coming to you from Hollywood. Today, I'm joined also by my brother in Minnesota. Hey, Not Hollywood. All right. Dawson, thank you so much for coming on and talking about uh, the 2020 Pixar's Onward. Uh, the, the winter season yeah. debut of uh, Pixar because they've got more coming, if I am to understand correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good to be here to talk about the newest Pixar film. Mm-hmm. Round one of Pixar for the year 2020. And um, yeah, the movie is quite the exciting subject matter, shall we say. It's fantasy-themed uh, epic um, in the signature Pixar computer animation aesthetic. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about here. We'll keep it fairly brief. I've been forward to seeing this film ever since <laughs> I heard of it because of the fantasy themes and premise, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, <laughs> it's sort of bright meets Weekend at Bernie's a little bit meets the Goonies, <laughs> and I haven't—I still haven't seen Bright. I love the oh, yeah. the whole conceit of Bright is something I love with all my heart. A modern world with fantasy elements. Um, mm. Apparently, Bright is terrible. I do want to watch it just to, to actually see what someone tried to come up with. Um, so I was thinking that the whole time that this is oh, this is exactly what Bright was trying to do to a degree probably a little bit um and uh this much more successfully i would uh, i would assume well i i really enjoyed this movie it was a whole lot of fun i don't know if it's you know in my top five favorite pixar movies but uh, it has some of the most powerful moments of any pixar they've certainly brought the waterworks in this film which i appreciated yes uh numerous of uh, uh feedback from friends and people who i've heard attended this film everyone everyone's saying yeah. oh i was crying you gotta go see it it's so good i mean aesthetically I yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't seem it doesn't 
have the guise of a movie you expect to go in you know you, you don't expect to come out feeling super emotional uh, uh but anytime you go to a pixar movie you should expect to come out feeling emotional and in the trailers yeah. where they show them like oh they're trying to bring their dad back to life but they only get his legs done it's like oh man what kind of wild emotional ride that i could not possibly predict is this thing going to take me on um yeah. and it definitely takes you for a literal ride it's about driving it's about uh driving lessons <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yes um yeah the character follows two brothers uh and they are orphaned at an early age uh the main not quite famous. orphaned they have a mom or not orphaned yeah sorry are they uh, bastarded <laughs> oh no no <laughs> that's i didn't want right. to say that. um pardon, pardon yeah me. that's not even a real word um and and um yeah i mean it's it's pretty typical disney trope of one or both parents being dad you know even andy uh davis's father <laughs> you know we don't know all the way from the beginning of toy story you know we don't know where his dad is at um so yeah, the uh, main protagonist, voiced by protagonists, uh, voiced by Marvel uh, alumni Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. <laughs> yes, um, who is not Mar a Marvel alumni at this point, but they do a really fun job. Were you? Did yeah. you see? Did it seem like there was a crazy age gap to you? Like, oh, Tom Holland's this, you know. 18 year old kid and Chris Pratt's this 40 year old man pretending to be a slightly older brother. Like, uh, I, I didn't, yeah, the tone of Chris Pratt's voice didn't seem too unbecoming of like a, I guess he's supposed to be what, 19? Uh, yeah, he's, he's out of high school. Just, uh, he's taking a gap year, the longest gap year ever. <laughs> <laughs> Their mom, yeah, played. Brilliantly by uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who's mm -hmm. actually got her second major role in a Pixar film with this. Uh, she, she plays the elf mother Laurel in this movie. And then she was Princess Ada in A Bug's Life. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, I know okay. that. Mm -hmm. well, that's um, really fun. Good to see you back. Yeah. Does a great job. Everyone does a wonderful job. All the vo uh, voice acting. Mm -hmm. Great perform. I mean, Tom Holland was incredible. I mean, he's such an incredible actor in live action, and I uh, don't think I've heard him in animation before. But he he was in Spies in Disguise, which I did not see. Did you see that? I did not. Okay, so I mean, I don't really know how to compare the two. They seemed like really similar characters. Uh, the character in Spies in Disguise, and then also. Uh, Ian in this movie, <laughs> kind of innocent, really ordinary boy with a uh, a lot of heart and a lot of responsibility who feels a lot of weight, and he's able to find all that range of emotion. Yeah. Um, well, we, before we, we get into the characterizations a little bit more, I mean, um, I just want to talk about the general aesthetic of of this film. Yes, and. Yeah, it's something that very much would appeal to me, the fantasy genre, certainly, um, with a, a little bit of a modern twist. Um, even sort of an 80s vibe is what I got from trailers. It turns yeah. out it's not the alternate 1980s. And like the parallels between our human world and these alternate fantasy worlds is always 
a big question of like what they keep from our world and what <laughs> what they change. Brighton right. had a big issue with that. I, I liked how they did it much better though in Onward. In what sense? Um, it wasn't such a direct facelift, you know, of our world. Like you yes. couldn't place any of the. You know, Everything was a parody, which is so. Um, I mean, I kind of figured they were going to do that, but yeah, nothing was. No, none of the labeling and the branding was the mm -hmm. same. Were you half expecting a licensed uh, soundtrack though when you were going into this film? Because I, oh, I was. I was yeah, I so started, surprised. Yeah, I was. I thought we were going to hear a bunch of '80s rock hits um, for this road trip movie, and they didn't. And I kind of missed them. I, 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 I was thinking about how they'd do it, which is they'd play like the songs, you know, he'd have mm -hmm. the mixtape, he'd play them on the car radio, uh, but every band would have a like parody name and that the songs would have like parody titles or something, even though the, the songs would, would not change. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that would make sense if they used it diegetically or they could just be, you know, used um, in the soundtrack and, and be non-diegetic. I'm trying to check here who actually did the music for this. Was it Giacchino? It almost sounded a little Randy Newman-esque at times. Um, mm. Music by Jeff Donna and Michael Donna, D-A-N-N-A. -N -N -A. Never so, heard of them. Yeah, I, I did, did well. It had kind of a Pixar feel. Um, but, but overall, I mean, just the cartooniness of it was maybe a little off putting you know, you're talking about the design the style yeah talk about that yeah i mean these it, it's hard to imagine taking a fantasy epic too seriously when you have these you know cherubic sprites running around casting spells you know they're saying these magic words in kind of a hokey fashion in the yeah think... <laughs> it's like power rangers or something like yeah, everyone looks very round, very rotund, very soft, very safe, very gentle, very cute. Um, and that did, I, well, it didn't bother me because I just had accepted it because that's what Pixar's going to do. Yeah. They're not going to, and even though I might want this, they weren't going to go that, that sexy, uh, angular route for fantasy uh, with elves. I mean, your, your main characters are elves. There's no humans at all. And they were dark elves, mostly. Um, drow, as they're known in Dungeons and Dragons lore. Mm -hmm. But the bluish-tinted skin and hair ranging from white to or, or blue or, or black, anything. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, no, no World of Warcraft night elf sexiness here. No. <laughs> um, and I thought of Okay, so if they did try to do a little bit more like that, the movie just wouldn't sell, right? People wouldn't go because people don't go to movies that look like Arthur Christmas, right? Um, well, uh, because that what's that? What was that movie about, elves? Because I never saw it, but I always saw the pictures of this Arthur kid with good long Jack and Daxter ears, thinking it looked amazing. Like I loved mm. that animation style, but. I don't think anyone yeah. went, and I don't remember the but you uh, yeah that had I mean kind of a similar style to uh, what you see from a Pixar the characters aren't too angular you know the, there's some beefy guys you know some male elves in that film but there's also well actually 
the elves i don't think are beefy uh, the elves are your typical like keebler elves and it's it's like santa and his kids they're like the the beefy dudes um i i don't yeah i don't remember there being it, it's still pretty western westernized animation with you know big round eyes and such you know yeah i i feel like um oh yeah i, I, I don't know okay. this, it's not arthur christmas is not the right movie then that i'm thinking of I, wow i'm i'm so dumb what am arthur, i i'm thinking I, of it's klaus i mean arthur no. christmas doesn't is the movie you're thinking of uh sort of an anime type Ar, so? it's called arthur and the invisible arthur and the invisibles oh arthur and the invisible i don't even know That's what that looks like the one yeah i'm at least i'm pretty hmm Hold okay that, right that movie looks like strange magic <laughs> yeah and that's With another example of the style the uncanny valley style yeah um, um i mean you know you, you really want to maybe look more to anime if you're thinking about like a traditional uh depiction of the modern fantasy you know in, in animation aesthetic um, right. where you do want to have a little you know sexiness to your characters you want to have that um, the edginess um, I don't know and I think Disney animation proper you know Walt Disney Animation Studios does a pretty good job um, sort of with the, you know just having really super appealing characters um, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah Pixar I don't know they, they do have a I think they don't quite have the same um mastery of like the really appealing eyes and and just like proportions that disney animation does um but you know they make up for that in the characterizations and just the you know the storytelling certainly because because yeah pixar i mean they came from the direction of just the technical side of building whatever they could using the limited means of early computer animation and their their sort of aesthetic evolved from that whereas you know with disney they toiled you know endlessly to make um you know tangled ultimately was the one that was most closely trying to emulate the hand-drawn style of like the disney renaissance era that was so appealing to people um and Pixar, I you know, with Brave, they, you, there's a <laughs> there's such a long yeah. distance between you know how how Merida looks in Brave and then like the mod Disney princess look in CGI. Um, but all that's just a, a gradual evolution, you know. Right. But um, all that to say, there's that, a there's you know, a there's a break and this big difference that exists in, between like video game animation and movie animation isn't it? you mentioned yeah. anime of course as achieving that kind of sexy edgy angular look but video games too they do the same yeah, yeah. final fantasy style um mm. which is which is emulating anime so um yeah, yeah really interesting stuff yeah no I've, I've been watching dragon prince and noticing some parallels as well you know we talked about dragon prince on a couple podcast episodes and 
I would like to talk about the new season too, if you if you get around to uh, to watch. Oh, them. I'm so bored. Uh, just thinking you, you about like Dragon it? Prince. You, oh, it's it's great. This new season is actually really exciting. There's so much more vibrance. Like they're exploring Zadia, the magical kingdom, and like everything's just so really gorgeous and uh vivid i hear there's a nonsensical plot about ezrin that makes no sense um kind of well i uh it's sort of nonsensical <laughs> but also uh <laughs> um, so that was the show so it doesn't matter um yeah. yeah no i'll get around to it i'll get around to it um but we probably shouldn't diverge too much into other film oh we, we, yeah sorry and and we, yeah, no, we can't fine. go on too much longer but um because you know we don't want to spoil this movie too much. I there will be some spoilers, but towards the end of the episode. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Let's go the, through your notes here and and find. A, let's see. Topic. You said barley's better than Marley. <laughs> so so, well, um, I think when I first heard that name's character, that character's name spoken, Chris Pratt's character, uh, I I heard it as Marley. It's like oh, what a what a typical name for a character <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, he's named after bob marley you know famous you know marley are from yeah. your um but no barley <laughs> barley yeah barley was so, great it's <laughs> it, it evokes an older world of brewing and monks and beer and yeah. uh, boisterousness and jovial joy which he was full of this great character mm -hmm. mr barley mm -hmm. but i had a hard time understanding what they were saying too for a little while um, and had trouble remembering names in this film. Yeah, um, he's a quest master, um, and yeah, I don't, he's wearing a cast that never seemed to can't come into play in the film. Actually, he it? is. Yeah, yeah, on one of his hands, it's on his uh, left hand. I. Maybe I, I just saw it as the like knuckle finger glove. It, it looked gloves. like yeah, just like a fingerless glove. But you know, if you if you look at it, it's clearly a cast. It's got some writing on it. Um, it's like a black hat. And then on the opposite hand, he has a, a leather strap with studs on it. Um, and he's sure. wearing this beret. It's kind of cool. You know, he's got the. Yeah. Cut off sleeve denim shirt. Love his yeah. denim vest. Love all the little patches on it with band names. I love the band name Smote. <laughs> smote. That's so epic. Mm. Conjures up uh, when Gandalf says he smote the Balrog's ruins upon the mountainside. Um, <clears throat> really great pull. So many fun fantasy pulls. And you mentioned he was a quest ma master, which is a reference to uh, a quest master is the dungeon master of the of the onward universes. Quests uh, of Yore. Quests of Yore. It's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's Quests of Yore. A historically accurate role-playing game, mm. uh, which I loved all of the all of the love letter being written to uh, role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons in that era uh, and, the, and the community who play games like that. Um, mm -hmm. It was, uh, you could tell it was made, this film was made my people with a love of all things fantasy who had probably gathered about the role-playing table telling stories of their own. Um, and uh, yeah, the, 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 the role-playing ethic, when you play a game like that, mm -hmm. um, thinking about real life and the storytelling life and, you know, why do we, why do we tell these stories together? Why do we make up these fantasy worlds and why are we so, 
uh, excited about things like magic and why do we feel this sense of loss of wonder in the world that we try to recapture with our imaginations with the books we write the movies we make and stories we tell together um, and this movie addressed all of that but set it within a world where where all that fantasy magic and wonder was in fact true history uh, that had been forgotten and it may as well sometimes in myth and folklore in some senses may as well be true history in our world at least i think it has the same power and the same value and human beings certainly feel the same strange attraction to it mm -hmm. the strange magic yeah referencing that film again but <laughs> or the yeah. song or the song oh that's right is that the name of the song that was in the preview for this movie because going back to the license i don't know 80 strange songs magic well, so that's, that's a ELO song um the in the first trailer for this uh, they actually use a great song by the cars yes um and the cars have been featured in pixar before naturally but um okay the, the oh yeah cars did use license they had life as a highway in the beginning yeah. of cars so yeah it's it's not unprecedented i i think the second movie had you might think by the cars but it might have been a cover by like weezer or something <laughs> there's a really good chance it was a cover by weezer yeah. but uh, yeah the the car song magic such a good song yeah, I was expecting movie. to hear it in the film, like 100 um, percent and um, other things like it. But yeah, yeah, they have uh, smartphones in this movie, which is the biggest mm. kind of telltale sign that it's not supposed to be set in the 80s. Um, but other than that, yeah, you have the Burgershire restaurant, which is very 80s. Burgershire. <laughs> um, but uh, so Ian, yeah, he's like he's an awkward kid. And I don't know. I, so he's the one who's actually capable of performing magic. They, uh, he has bequeathed his father's staff upon his uh, age of manhood, uh, which is 16 in this world. I kind of liked how that was a departure from like our, you know, human American yeah. culture. And it's much more in line with fairy tales and folk tales. 16 is such an important age um, in, in fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, he and Barley share the staff, but Barley spends you know, so much time trying to do this incantation to bring his, the father back for a day. It's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. He, he never thinks one, to let Ian try it for like nine hours. <laughs> well, it's just this interesting, the Wunderkind phenomenon, or, you know, as uh, <laughs> Max Landis infamously um has has now been retroactively attributed the this the term uh mary sue um ian instantly is capable of uh, performing magic uh, fairly adeptly and like even by the end of this 24 hour period is capable of doing some fairly advanced stuff yeah well um, i explain that it's some magic is something some people are born with and some people aren't and that Typically, most magic is very difficult to master, and we do see we do see him struggle and fail with a lot of magic throughout the course of the film. Um, but then, and there's particularly getting in touch with his heart's fire, a really fun concept. Uh, but then, uh, yeah, we do get to a point, a fairly emotional point, where all the gloves come off, and he finds his heart's power and seems to get a direct link to it. And then, yeah, he's able to perform some very <clears throat> powerful. It seems feats of yeah. magic, but uh, at um, least not like world-ending stakes <laughs> either. No, you know. yeah. But um, the 
inciting incident is you know him bringing back the the father you know something was wrong this what is it the phoenix gem or whatever it's called the phoenix gem breaks yeah breaks yeah and um yeah it's only the the bottom half you know we know this from the trailers there's no torso on uh on will wilden lightfoot is the father and uh so if he has an itch in any unfortunate region <laughs> he's sort of out of luck <laughs> um but yeah and, and it becomes kind of a weekend at bernie's sort of madcap adventure um they you know they yeah what do they do with gem. tad's legs yeah they they want to try to complete the ritual so that's the main thrust of the quest um and yeah how much do you want to talk about specific plot points or you don't yeah. want to do spoilers for this no, one, which I, mean, I think is fair i mean i i don't know we we usually have spoiler ridden discussions but yeah i want to change that um I I want to I was asked or I was curious about like Ian he he's he seems like such a unfortunate misfire of, of a teenage kid I mean well they both were they both were they both were very awkward but at, at in least different uh, ways yeah Barley seemed to have like a social circle for, you know doing the of his D and D friends which isn't much of a social circle oh, that's pretty um, in depth I mean. But yeah, it's like yeah. Ian barely knew some of these kids that he wanted to invite to his birthday later. And I mean, he, he apparently was in some, what, what was it, a math club or a math, science club? Science uh, club. I don't know, math or science club. AV club. <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't clear if this was a new school or if they had been going there their whole life. I'm or... assuming this is their childhood home. I assumed it was too. Yeah. Um, and maybe he was just moving into high school, but had been in like middle school and elementary school. So that incident with that, um, oh, that Gorgon kid uh, at, in the classroom oh, yeah. who put his yeah, feet yeah. up. Um, and like there, there was also like a cute girl sitting next to that desk. So my assumption was he wanted to sit there specifically so he could be right next to this female classmate oh you wrote in your notes cute girl cut scene is this a is this a proven yeah. thing or a theory no i it's just the theory i have that there was supposed to be like an interaction with him and a girl on whom he has a crush but that that didn't make it into the movie it's just this little bit with the the gorgon kid that's a good theory yeah they never had any uh a romantic interest characters of any kind um uh, yeah. which uh, Probably they t they took out or didn't or didn't have it in the first place to focus specifically on the brothers' relationship mm -hmm. and um, and their goals with their for finding their father. Um, yeah. And their mother got some really fun screen time. Uh, oh yeah, she was a, was a, she kid. was a central character. Uh, well, side supporting character, but central to the story nonetheless. Yeah, you had um, the Colt character. What was his name? Bron Colt Bronco or something? Colt, Colt Bronco, something dumb and on the nose. The, the police. Yeah. A um, centaur in a car, which is... <laughs> it was a Ford Bronco. I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't. It was at least patterned after one. Um, I, shoot, I'm not sure who plays that character. Let's see. It sounded like um, it might have been Ham, you know, the uh, actor that they always. John Ratzman. I was thinking yeah. that too, just slightly adjusting his voice. Yeah, didn't sound like him, and it, he would. It would have been the largest voice role that I've heard him have, other than probably Ham, because usually he's just a cameo in in the later Pixar films. Yeah, Mel Rodriguez is the actor. Oh. 
Um, he's, I guess, his top bill or his top entry here is Little Miss Sunshine. Um, and then there's not a whole lot of other super big projects. But, anyways, um, yeah, I, I, there's that whole sequence which was sort of a, a pivotal midway point where they're doing the disguise spell because um, the, the van gets pulled over. I can't even yeah. remember why the, two, the van the, gets pulled. The two brothers get pulled over because of uh, speeding um, and mm-hmm. uh, rote behavior on the road uh, that okay. is wild and rambunctious. So they get pulled over by the cops uh, and their idea to get out of it is to cast a spell, uh, the disguise self spell. Uh, they cast it on themselves. The two brothers both then become the core of this illusory image, which is uh, their well, stepdad, uh, the, the centaur yeah. cop. Because their mom is dating a centaur cop. So yeah. the brothers disguise themselves as a centaur cop and then try to tell the police who pulled them over that, oh, I'm the teacher and my boys here how to drive and no, no problem, officer. Um, it, it seemed like an odd choice for this uh enchantment to require like absolute honesty or something while yes, you're they could not they could not lie while they uh, and i it seemed yes yeah, there were some weird requirements it, it's literally uh <laughs> it's a spell disguised or it's, it's a spell designed to deceive <laughs> so of course you're lying <laughs> yeah you're lying just by being there yeah. so you couldn't but you couldn't speak a lie, so which was mm-hmm. fun. I mean, it made for a fun scene. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I and but it did create that effective moment of you know Ian's true like opinions about his brother, um, and that's something that's I, I feel very relatable, kind of to how people who are very close to each other in proximity, you know, family members and such, you know. How there there is like a lot of dimension and com- and complexity to the, these relationships, yeah. Um, and the the thought of you know these <laughs> cops, you know, kind of commenting on Barley being a, a screw up. He's got that glove compartment just chock full of <laughs> a parking violations. <laughs> Gosh. Um, but uh, and then yeah, Ian the the um, spell starting to become. <laughs> You know, it starts to break because Ian has to pretend or that he he does, you know, not see Barley as someone who's kind of on the wrong path. Uh, and, and then, yeah. Yeah. Ian might not. Ian might it might be, like Ian believes he doesn't believe his brother's a screw up. But deep down, that's where a lot of his feelings about his brother come from. Uh, they have a lot of feelings about each other. Uh, Barley is a such a happy idiot character, isn't he? Um, he really just means so well all of the time. And there wasn't uh, like one thing that wasn't in the movie that I was would have maybe expected. Then this tells you a lot about Barley as a character was that when you know, Barley would have wanted so badly to have magic. He's pretended all his life he's been able to use magic. So he finds his dad's staff. He's so excited. And he's the one who's trying to cast the spell to summon his dad for, you know, hours and hours. And when Ian ends up being the one who can, Bar- there's never that moment of cheap drama and conflict where Barley's mad and jealous. Like, I wish I had magic. Like, how come it's you? Barley's just stoked for, for his brother the whole time. Um, 
happy finds out it has magic and he's like all right i'm gonna teach you all the ways and uh yeah so um not not to say briley isn't flawed like it's just it's interesting they're 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 it's a different character dynamic i don't know that i've seen recently um yeah i mean barley's probably kind of a slob you know eats and oh yeah drinks too much and probably is, is you know kind of coarse but he's got a good heart and we really see that side coming out of him at least from what we see in this movie but you know there's probably a lot more to that equation and uh yeah i don't, I don't know um he's not like he's very courageous um but maybe really confident foolhardy really, but foolhardy and, and foolish doesn't yeah always think um the, the i guess my, one of my favorite moments was seeing his reactions during we, we get a a literal like leap from the lion's head moment in yes, this movie. Indiana Jones. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the scene. <laughs> I know exactly oh, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the moment the moment the thing happens and Barley's face changes, it's like, oh my gosh. And I, and that was, you know, because like you know, you know that it's not gonna end badly you know the scene it's well you know it's not kids movie. badly badly but <laughs> yeah but just watching his reactions and as he because like yeah if i were in that situation i would be almost 100 percent convinced that it's it's going to end the wrong way yep and i would be uh such a mess Every, yeah. everything would be my fault it's all over like you'd, yeah. you'd just be so hopeless so utterly hopeless mm -hmm. and the but the way he keeps he keeps going is he just tries to just priceless maintain the veneer um yeah that was a great moment and then of course yeah you kind of have that um climax at the end with um you know ian totally reconciling himself with like the with his older brother and you know not having grown up with the father necessarily but um yeah so that that's all very powerful i i guess uh wielden you know yeah the the father there's a touching moment with him too but um it uh i, I really liked how how that all played out ultimately um I'm, i'll just uh, give a brief warning like major spoilers from here on out uh, you know we'll we'll be wrapping it up here pretty quick mm -hmm. um but um what did you think well uh yeah. think oh sorry the, yeah. the fact that ian he didn't get to meet his father ultimately i was surprised uh but really loved and if i felt it made sense the way that they uh that that came to be um did you want to go into the sequence of events of, as to what happened um, I mean, yeah, this is kind of the climactic. I don't know. That was quite the convenient crater of debris that <laughs> saved. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was just due to the magic spell. I don't know. I, I even just have to assume almost. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyways, like, yeah, he's stuck in this crater. Only able to look out for, from a distance at um, and, the spell. Oh, yeah. They, you know, thankfully, they're able to complete the enchantment because, like, at a certain point, the gem just kind of takes over and it's just kind of does it does its own thing until Wilden fully manifests. Um, and then when he does, like, Ian, Barley's there, but Ian can't make it 
Ian can't be there. Yeah. And you compared that moment to, you referenced a couple of other things in your the, notes. Yeah. Um, there's some movies like where a major character, you know, has, has someone who's really close to them that they're only able to like see from a distance during like a, a very significant moment in this person's life. I mean, even Barley like talks about one of his memories of Wilden being like him being in the hospital room and, and Barley being too afraid to approach him. Yeah, that was a cool revelation because the whole movie, you, you know that Barley has three memories of his dad, uh, but then while they're sitting on a floating Cheeto, um, a giant floating Cheeto, he reveals that he has four memories um, yeah. that he never told Ian, which was a, a huge regret that he was too scared to go and say goodbye to his dad when he saw his dad hooked up to all the hospital equipment when he was like, which was, wow, rough and powerful. Um, and that's why Ian lets Barley be there because there's, there's a giant obstacle preventing them from finishing the ritual and meeting their dad. Uh, so at first, Barley offers to be the distraction so that Ian can meet his dad. Uh, and the, but then Ian is like, I never knew him. I never met him. But I had you my whole life to look up to. But you, there was a moment with dad that you missed, and I want you to have the opportunity to to finish that. And I thought that that logic, that reasoning was really cool and really beautiful and selfless. Mm -hmm. And uh, such a a tremendous sacrifice. And it's not the traditional way that you think about uh, heroic sacrifice at all. Yeah. But it was its own version of that. Um, and and it, the thing it reminded me most of is, and this movie has a lot of Indiana Jones in it, uh, but, um, you know, the moment when Henry I Jones Sr. Uh, sees the Grail Knight at the end of Indiana Jones' The Last Crusade, you know. Because the Grail is what he's been searching for his whole yeah. life. It was his goal. It was his thing. And he gets so close, but he can't, he can't see the end, but then right but then he catches, he sees the night, he sees it was all real. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful comparison. And, and thanks for reminding me of that moment. Yeah, so that's Onward. Um, we get a nice little reference to another popular 80s movie at the end with the uh, roads <laughs> going. We don't need, yeah, uh, they, they fly off in Guinevere or, or whatever. I guess he gets- Guinevere, a, Guinevere was the name of a- of, when, Barley's van that he put so much love yeah. and care into repairing. Yeah. So Guinevere too. I'm glad that they, cause it's just a van. Ultimately it's easy to replace. Um, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> sentimentality that that's, that's ir- irreplaceable. Um, that's true. Well, you think it is, but then it's all happy anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, as, um, Dan, this is directed by Dan Scanlon, who directed Monsters University um, and a short based on Toe Mater. <laughs> um, but it, it had kind of a similar feel to a lot, a lot of sentimentality in this movie. Um, but, you know, it doesn't delve too deeply into the lore and, and into like all the world building. Yeah, it's not trying to build a world um that you you wonder in in your notes here if if there should be a sequel or should be a Mm -hmm. series i mean it's obviously not impossible that they can make a sequel but i don't think they really set up for it and i don't think they're interested in that i yeah a prequel maybe that actually does take place during the magical times well and the box office results over the weekend weren't tremendous uh it, it made under 40 million domestically 
like still number one, wasn't it? It was still number one, but it was the lowest adjusting for inflation of any Pixar film to date. Um, so that kind of, unless it has really long legs, hopefully people will discover it and, you know, it'll remain in theaters for a while. Yeah, there's a whole, and this bums me out so much, but there's a whole audience that the moment you show a sword or show a magical creature or indicate that this is a medieval timey movie, like mm. just people will not go mm. to those films. Um, so that's why even though they wanted all that stuff and they wanted the elves and they wanted the magic and the swords and mm-hmm. uh, they wanted the film to be about all that stuff, they really had to couch the marketing in like, no, 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 just because they're blue and they have elf ears. Like this is so human. This is so mo- like fun, modern, real world f- for the family that everyone in the family can enjoy. Not just the nerd in your family. This isn't a movie <laughs> just for the nerd. Yeah. It's for everyone. Um, yeah. And it was for everyone, but definitely for the nerds. Yeah. Well, uh, and coronavirus, of course, complicating things right now too. Box office is down. Yes, I mean, the whole economy is down. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, not so much in the U.S., but certainly globally. Dan Scanlon, I for the longest time, I thought he was this makeup artist who did the creature effects for the new Star Wars trilogy. Um, the which it's is a close like relation. No relation, I don't think. I just wanna, it it brought me into the subject of like what would happen if you crossed you know an elf with a, a centaur or something, because like the yeah a lot of the creature designs build the world for this movie because yeah. they things that have that like if you were to follow through would have consequences that you would need to explain <laughs> so they, they just kind of i don't know <laughs> a lot of the creature designs in the sequel trilogy are just kind of like these fleshy looking masses and i i kind of get it and like it because um there are like lots of like weird hybrids in star wars just you don't see them as off you know it's <laughs> they're not as interesting as like the pure you know twi'leks and rhodians and uh, grands and keldor but uh, yeah like like what is um what's his uncar plot uncar like what is uncar plot like that's not a, a species anyone He's just cares about. <laughs> been exposed to radiation too much and then the dumb the dumb pig people in rise of skywalker that like were maybe supposed to be cute, but were rather horrifying. <laughs> yeah, um, the little big elephant babies. Oh yeah, yeah, they looked I, like. Gosh, what? <laughs> I don't uh, even know. Oh, they they looked like um, from Labyrinth or uh, no, um, the Dark Crystal, um, the. Um, oh, podlings. Podlings. Yeah, podlings. except with wanky noses, wanky pig noses. Yeah, um, the young ones look like podlings. They look a bit like in Willow when the witch casts a spell and turns everyone into pigs. They looked like the like half transition phase yeah. of that. But like in Star Wars Rebels, you know, you have Freddie Prince Jr.'s character and then the, the Twi'lek, uh, Harry, Harry Sandula, yeah, like they get together and have a kid, a half Yeah, I assume the Twi'lek <laughs> hybrid is not hard to imagine. I mean, humans no. were born to be together because um, they are so similar, probably, I assume, genetically. Mm-hmm. and the chiss you know any anything that like looks like a human but it's just a different color or has a or has a whack appendage such yeah. as hair all oh, right um, well and yeah but I, a centaur and an elf that's that's something that's a new level 
so anyways um until the we get a harry potter series on hbo and it can really flesh out the world oh of is, magic. This, is this true true uh no but inevitable once you say like I, yeah I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time actually but i was thinking netflix i would I don't want HBO to do Harry Potter. They HBO. own though Warner Brothers. It's a Warner Brothers property, so it would be on HBO. Oh, really? Yeah. I, didn't, I had no idea Warner Bros. and HBO had anything. Okay, well. Um, or Warner Brothers. It's uh, HBO Max is the new streaming service that they're coming out with in a couple months. Oh, a new one. Why? Yeah, because it's just a bigger umbrella. Uh, covering like all of Warner Brothers um, and HBO and all that. Because when you think, I mean, everyone, HBO is the like R-rated adult stuff. Like, I mean, it has, there isn't anything that is not that on HBO, right? There is. I think they have like Sesame Street, new new, uh, (laughs) episodes airing on HBO and there's there's all kinds of things on HBO. They're just known for you know yeah, pushing the boundaries on all all t- in all sorts of ways, shall okay. we say? Like I I just watched the new Stephen King series, The Out- Outsider, and that was super like refreshing on how it made me feel like I was literally watching a novel play out on screen Ooh. as it would in my head if I were reading it. Like that's always my fantasy when I'm reading a really good novel. It's like imagining it playing out on on a uh, film. Because if you're engrossed enough, you can pretty much see it happening as a film exactly Mm -hmm. as you're reading it. Yeah, but then when they make the film adaptation, inevitably it's, you know, totally different in many ways. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and a lot of that's just due to the time constraints. But with every, yeah. What every Harry Potter book give it seven episodes, like that would mm-hmm. be so rad, um, or just as many episodes as you need, as many episodes as you need. Books. Seven yeah. would be a fun start because seven books, seven episodes each, yeah, you know, whatever. But yeah, give it because I mean, you also wouldn't want to go too long, but I don't know. Like, is there any detail in Harry Potter that you'd want omitted? Not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you had the time and the money, yeah, every inch, uh, you know yeah get i mean it's just a, back yeah. in there get all the professors back in there like every fun scene yeah. i don't know but it's a matter of time and i would really hope that they would bring back some of the same the john williams themes you know mm. he won't be around to do the score but like at least some of the keep that theme some yeah, of the you themes, have to. certainly but anyways uh thanks so much dawson for coming on talking fantasy animation pixar um, and uh, yeah, we'll see how regularly we can keep coming out with some new podcast episodes. But um, stay tuned to this feed, and uh, you know we'll we'll be uh, plugging away when we get the time. Thank you so much, Dawson. Oh, uh, thank you. And can people find you anywhere online? Um, oh, on Instagram, Dawson Delvin and Elke, and uh, that's or my website, DawsonElke.com. Yeah. All right. Well, find us at Thoughtcast uh, at Thoughtcast on Instagram, Twitter, thoughtcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, um, all, of, all the things. Um, and you all have a, a wonderful day, a magical, magical day, as we say <laughs> in the, the Disney geekosphere uh, and, and a wonderful week. <laughs>